Hello, everybody. Hope you all having a enjoying a great weekend, and I'm here to bring you some current events and some food for thought. So let's get into it. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. Going to be talking about the G9 gang. Tonight, the tables could be turning on the gangs in Haiti as violence and economic turmoil continues to plague the nation. The UN Security Council now targeting gang leaders and their supporters, considering travel bans and arms embargoes on anyone threatening the peace, security, or stability of Haiti. Sites like this becoming more and more common as frustration with the nation's high inflation and political turmoil boils. Gangs gaining power over a nation trying to get back on its feet after the assassination of its president, Jovenel Moïse, last year. Speaking in Washington yesterday, Secretary... Jovenel Moïse was not a good person. He used gangs to crush his competition in politics. A lot of other things that was not good about him. Let's keep going, though. Your state, Anthony Blinken, said their efforts have been an uphill battle. Big parts of the, uh, the capital, other parts of Haiti, are actually controlled by gangs, not by the state. Ports are, uh, are blocked. Roads are blocked. So some of the things necessary to deal with the cholera outbreak simply can't get to where they need to, to go. Now, the United Nations Security Council also weighing in, their eyes set on Jimmy Chedesier, also known as Barbecue, over the role his G9 gang is played in a blockade of Haiti's principal fuel terminal. A move that has dried up fuel supplies as the country already suffers from a water shortage due to a cholera outbreak that's putting 1.2 million children at risk. Schools are closed, hospitals are closed, and farmers are having trouble bringing their goods to the market. The United States stepping up and targeting those in support of gangs, leading to visa sanctions on 11 people so far. And China saying it supports the UN's plan to sanction gang leaders. A move that could perhaps be a step toward more peaceful days. And Stephen Rumwood joins us now here in studio. Stephen, thanks for joining Top Story. The UN announced earlier today that Haiti is seeing catastrophic levels of hunger. From your reporting, what are people there living with on the ground, and how is it connected to what you just reported? Yeah, these situations are sort of feeding into one another. That gang violence is compounding the problems of food and fuel shortages. Those surging prices and supply issues have led to protests that have also brought the country to a standstill, and that chaos allowing the gang situation to become even worse. The World Food Program says half the population is facing acute hunger for the first time ever. Many problems here worsening each other and the situation just continuing to become more and more desperate. A perfect storm that Haiti has been dealing with for so long. Stephen Rumwood, thank you. Acute hunger? Those people are going to commit cannibalism. That's what's going to happen. They're going to commit cannibalism. That is what's going to happen. (sighs) 
Haiti Gang 9 and family test government threatened to paralyze the country. Standoff between a powerful gang federation and Haiti's government is testing how much both how much power both aides wield and threaten to further derail a paralyzed country where millions of people are struggling to find fuel and water. A police a former police officer who leads a gang alliance known as G9 and family has proposed his own plan for Haiti's future, even seeking seats in the cabinet while demanding that the administration of Prime Minister Ariel Henry Grant amnesty and void arrest warrants against the group's members and demand that so far has gone unheard. This guy used to be a cop and you're doing this? Let me let me read you all the things that he has done. Let me let me start reading. In mid-September, the gang surrounded a key fuel terminal to demand Henry's resignation. The protest a spike in petroleum prices after the prime minister announced that his administration could no longer afford to subsidize fuel. That move, coupled with thousands of protesters who have blocked the streets in the capital of Port-au-Prince and other major cities, has caused major shortages, forcing hospitals to cut back on services, gas stations to close, and banks and grocery stores to restrict hours. You're a cop that's supposed to uphold law and order, and you're causing chaos. In a recent video posted on Facebook, G9 and family leader Jimmy Shareza, who goes by the name Barbecue, read a proposed plan to stabilize Haiti. That includes the creation of a council of sages with one representative from each of Haiti's 10 departments. Council of sages. Me into witchcraft. The gang also is demanding positions in Henry's cabinet, according to the director of Haiti's national disarmament, dismantling and reintegration commission, speaking to radio station Magic 9 on Thursday. It's a symptom of their power, but also a symptom that may fear what is coming. Robert Fayton, a Haitian politics expert at the University of Virginia, said of the gang's demands. Henry and 18 members of his cabinet appealed nearly a week ago for the deployment of foreign troops to quell violence and end the fuel blockade, a proposal that has yet to be formally discussed by United Nations Security Council, which meets on Monday. The gang, which has overpowered a understaffed and under-resourced police department, is likely wary of the potential deployment of specialized armed troops, Clayton said. They are trying to get the best deal they can get, while, to some extent, they have the upper hand, he said. The gang demands are nothing new in Haiti, and they have grown more powerful since July 2021 assassination of President Joel Moise. But such threats were quickly quelled in the past with the help of UN peacekeepers forces, Fayton said. In the aftermath of the rebellion that ousted former Haitian President Jean Bertrand Aristide, then President René Preval ordered gangs to lay down their weapons. He did it peacefully at first, but upon receiving no results, he threatened them. They were told, you either disarm or you're going to be dead, Fayton said. Some gangs accepted the solution and others were destroyed. He said special forces, special forces used drones and invaded slums, which gangs have long controlled. But gangs have played major political roles. The leader of one gang helped launch the revolt that removed Aristide, who refused to resign before the end of his term in 2006. That leader, Botter Mateer, had been an Aristide supporter, but turned against him after his brother, also a gang leader, was killed in 2003. Fenton said that while the demand to give Sherizer's gang federation cabinet positions is a crazy proposition, he added that an amnesty involving giving up 
weapons might be a solution. The government saves face. The gang says we've achieved what we've wanted, and there's a compromise, he said. But the demand to avoid arrest warrants would likely be rejected by the government, which has long sought the arrest of Shariza on charges including orchestrating one of the country's worst massacres in which dozens of men, women, and children were slain. Haiti officials have warned the international community that the situation is dire, noting that our recent cholera outbreak could also worsen due to the limited availability of water and other basic supplies. One On Friday, UNICEF warned that nearly 100,000 children younger than five already suffering from severe acute malnutrition and are vulnerable to cholera. The crisis in Haiti is increasingly a children's crisis. Later in the day, a report from UN agencies and international aid groups said a record of 4.7 million people in Haiti are facing acute hunger, including 19,000 in catastrophic famine conditions for the first time, all in the gang-controlled city Soleil slum of Port-au-Prince. It is also becoming a crisis for women. The United Nations Population Fund said Friday that 30,000 pregnant women are at risk because roughly three-fourths of Haiti's hospitals are unable to provide services due to a lack of fuel. In addition, gangs are increasingly raping women and girls as well as boys. To some extent, men to, the, to exert and retain control over the territory, according to a UN Human Rights Report released Friday. Helen Lalim, the top UN official in Haiti, told reporters that human rights abuses include rape and sexual assault have reached alarming levels. This is crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. It's, I'm sorry, man, but you, you may get, want to be free from America, but um, it's not going to work, man. It's not. You need help. That is it. Okay? You need help, and there's no other way around it. Okay. Help is needed. It's necessary. The testimonies of the victims are truly horrible, she said. This must stop. Arnold Gusta Royer with the UN's Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner noted that one woman saw gang, gang's executor husband and was then raped by several men in front of her four children for several hours. Rape becomes a weapon of tactics for gangs. He said, adding that the t acts committed are extremely violent, done in front of family members to humiliate victims. Gangs who control an estimated 60% of Port-au-Prince have raped children as young as 10 years old, elderly women, as well as according to the UN report. In one case, a 12-year-old boy was raped by five individuals who just, just minutes had raped his older sister during gangs clashes in April, said the UN. A few days later, the bush boy was found with a gunshot wound to the head, laying on a pile of garbage in an abandoned area. Animals. Just pure animals. But wouldn't you want to know how this all came to be? How is it that Haiti just can't seem to be get out of this hellscape that they're in. I'm going to tell you about it. We're going to get into that.
here we go. Or the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now! Fair use. Gonzalez in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Hi, Amy. Welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. Well, the ransom. That's the name of a major series of articles published by the New York Times detailing how Haiti became one of the poorest countries in the world, while bankers in France and the United States made a fortune. The story dates back to the early 19th century. In 1804, the enslaved people of Haiti rose up, leading a rebellion against French colonial rule, founding the world's first black republic. Under military threat from France in 1825, Haiti agreed to pay reparations to France for lost so-called property, including enslaved people that French owners lost in the rebellion. France threatened to invade Haiti and reimpose slavery if Haiti did not agree to a staggering amount in reparations, 150 million francs, 30 times Haiti's annual revenue. Haiti began taking out loans from French banks, leading to an economic crisis that continues through to this day. The New York Times estimates Haiti paid the equivalent of what's now $560 million to France over the next seven decades. The true economic cost to Haiti is estimated to be an astounding $115 billion. And that only tells a part of the story. In 1880, a French bank established Haiti's first national bank, essentially putting France in control of Haiti's treasury. That bank, Credit Industriel et Commercial, used some of its massive profits to help finance the Eiffel Tower. The bank's current owner has just launched an investigation into its dealings with Haiti and its role in what's called the ecosystem of colonialism, that bank, CIC. The Time series also looks at the US military occupation of Haiti that lasted from 1915 to 1934. A key backer of the US occupation was the National City Bank of New York, the predecessor of Citibank. Former US diplomat Patrick Aspar who knew heads, who now heads the Center for American Progress, has called on Citigroup to pay reparations to Haiti. Gaspard wrote on Twitter, a silent scream has been in throats for decades about the role U.S. played in depleting Haiti. No one would listen. Finally, some truths, he said. Over the years, Haitian demands for reparations have been repeatedly shut down sometimes with force. France's former ambassador to Haiti, Thierry Bucard, admitted to the New York Times that France and the United States effectively orchestrated the 2004 coup that ousted Haiti's first democratically elected president, Jean-Bertrand Aristide. Bucard said one benefit of the coup was that it ended Aristide's campaign demanding France pay financial reparations. What did Joe Biden say about Haiti, that it would be better if it sunk into the sea?
Look that up. Look up what Joe Biden said about Haiti back in the day. Okay. I wonder how you blacks feel about voting for Joe Biden now. Just saying. Operations to Haiti. To talk more about Haiti. All right. I'll leave it there. All right. That's basically how it all went down. Okay. Now I'm going to go on to the next story. Sad, man. It really is. It's, it's. U.S. government. Wow. Maybe that's the reason why they don't want to give reparations, because they know if they give black Americans reparations, they got to give Haitians reparations for their involvement. All right, let's get into this story right here. Going to be talking about um, America's military. How it's really we're in, the American military is in trouble. That's all I got to say. It really is in trouble right now. America's military is <clears throat> gutted in preparation for Chinese military invasion of the West Coast. USA has just about 300 land missiles in its entire arsenal. 300. All right, let's keep going. The Heritage Foundation has released a truly disturbing report that analyzes the strength of the U.S. military, which is being systematically dismantled by Democratic president like Obama, who was actually elected, and Biden, who was not elected. Okay. Uh, They're all... Presidents are selected, not elected. The report linked below reveals that the entire United States military has 300 land missiles remaining in its entire arsenal. This number should set off alarm bells in the minds of anyone paying attention. That's compared to over 12,000 missiles owned by Russia and 14,000 in China's military. Press release says this. For the first time, the Heritage Foundation's Index of U.S. Military Strength finds that as currently postured, the U.S. military is rated weak and at a significantly risk of not being able to meet the demands of a single major regional attack conflict, which attending to various presence and engagement activities. That means the U.S. military is incapable of handling even single regional conflict, much less a two-front war, which is what we will likely see, soon see to be facing against Russia. Readiness and capacity issues across the force, particularly in the Air Force, Navy, have become so significantly significant that the military's ability to fulfill its primary mission is in jeopardy, warns the report, which makes no sen- no reference to the disturbing fact that top military generals and personnel are being replaced with woke-tarred leftists who express extreme hatred toward the United States 
and want to usher in a new era of Chinese-style communism. The Heritage Foundation president, Dr. Kevin Roberts, lashed out at Biden for further weakening the U.S. military, saying Biden's reckless, naive foreign policy continues to embolden our adversaries while his domestic agenda undermines the strength of our military. There is no question that under his failed leadership, the strength of our military has hit an all-time low. As the UK Mail is now reporting, America currently possesses just 300 land-based missiles, while China boasts more than boasts more than 14,000 and Russia more than 12,000. This means that the, in a land war, the U.S. military will run out of missiles in mere hours or days, while China and Russia can continue to launch missiles for many months or years, making matters even worse. As reported, U.S. military running out of key munitions, including anti-tag javelins, by gifting them to Ukraine as, as production capacity falls. In essence, the U.S. has emptied its military munitions vaults and sent everything to Ukraine where it's vanishing. As we, you know, as I've reported before, um, the United States is giving military weapons and giving uh, medical aid, and it's being lost on the way there. <clears throat> it's not being sent to Ukraine. Ukraine military is not getting it, and these military weapons do not have serial numbers, so you can't track it. So they, it could be in the hands of another in a terrorist organization all over the world. The Ukraine war fiasco has created a giant weapons destruction black hole where treasonous Pentagon leaders and corrupt politicians can, <clears throat> excuse me, dispose of U.S. artillery pieces, ammunitions, anti-tank weapons, rocket systems, and more simply by claiming they are being sent to Ukraine to fight Russia. In truth, there is zero accountability on these weapons and munitions. They are vanishing into a black hole or being sold off to Iran and other countries on the black market. The net effects is, is to get America's military readiness just as China and Russia are gearing up for World War III. As we have exhaustively recovered in articles and expert interviews with people like J.R. Nyquist and Dave Hodges, China continues to work towards its goal of launching a kinetic attack against the United States, landing troops and invading with millions of soldiers. Their goal is to exterminate all Americans and seize America's rich croplands, which can help provide for China, the Chinese empire, which cannot currently grow enough food to feed its own people. In order to achieve this, China will first blind the U.S. military with GPS jamming and anti-satellite weapons, and perhaps combined with an EMP strike over North America. This will thrust most of the country into grid-down grid chaos while disabling military comms and navigation capabilities. Notably, GPS jamming was recently carried out in central Texas near Fort Hood, where GPS signals went dead and commercial air traffic had to take special actions to maintain course headings. A military source has told me this GPS jamming was caused by China and carried out as a carried out as a test for its blinding capabilities in anticipation of engaging U.S. forces on U.S. soil. China, you see, has its own GPS system that will stay operational even as China 
blinds the U.S. Air Force GPS system that's used by the U.S. military. China's homegrown GPS system is called Baidu and was launched in June of 2020. Russia also has its own GPS system called GLONASS. Both Baidu and GLONASS can be used to guide precision missiles, including hypersonic missiles. Take down the U.S. Air Force GPS would, of course, allow China and Russia to maintain their own weapons while blinding the U.S. military on U.S. soil. Not only did Obama send nuclear material to Iran and tens of billions of dollars in laundered money flown in on military cargo planes, he also arranged for a U.S. military drone to be captured by Iran so that all the technology powering the drone could be reverse engineered by Iranian military experts. See also Trump confirms that Obama's schemes paid for the missiles fired by Iran against U.S. targets. Now, the so-called kamikaze drones being used by Russia against Ukraine are actually made in Iran using U.S. technology and funding that was provided during the Obama administration. Obama is still committing treason against the, US, the United States and getting U.S. soldiers and allied soldiers killed on the battlefield. Joe Biden is, of course, an Obama puppet who's carrying out Obama's third term. That's weapons being sent to Ukraine will actually end up being sold to Iran or various terrorist organizations that will target military personnel of the USA and NATO. Obama, will, Obama was arming Iran with drone technology and funding for nuclear weapons. He, also, he, he was also dismounting the U.S. military by firing true patriots and conservatives, purging the ranks of anyone loyal to the U.S. Constitution. The result is a weakened and pathetic woke tar class of military leaders run by cross-dressing trannies and traitors. This is all by design and, of course, because it's all about preparing America to be completely defenseless when it's invaded by China. Based on the intel from our sources, China and Russia are very likely to coordinate their, air, their attacks, striking the continental USA along its west coast via China's military, while Russia launches nuclear missiles that strike the east coast Washington, D.C., New York, Norfolk, etc., and take out European cities such as London and Berlin before this nuclear assault is unleashed. America will be blinded by GPS jamming and a strong likelihood of an EMP weapon detonated at an altitude. America, once America is blinded, the first wave of short-range nuclear missiles will be launched and from Chinese merchant ships. <clears throat> will be launched from Chinese merchant ships. These missiles will strike California National Guard base, bases and other military infrastructure within range. Chinese troops will then land on the beaches and seize the ports. Once that is accomplished, they will offload Chinese military tanks, armored carriers, artillery, mobile rocket launchers, and other equipment onto their new beachhead. From there, they will seek to exterminate every civilian in sight, working their way westward with the goal of seizing all of the continental United States and exterminating every last living American. According to our sources, Governor Newsom is conspiring with, conspiring with China to engage, <clears throat> to engage in this and enable this to be a success, likely by ordering military units in California to stand down. Newsom has been paid off with billions of dollars in laundered money, some of which was sent to China under the excuse of PPE, you know, um, <clears throat> PPE purchases. This money was launched by China, was laundered by China and sent back to Newsom's control as a massive payoff. 
Similarly, high-level Pentagon officials who are already bribed and compromised by China will order the Navy to stand down so that China's military merchant ships can arrive at America's shores fully intact. Following this, America will find itself in a guerrilla war scenario fighting for its existence on planet Earth. China will be able to flood America with literally millions of Chinese troops in an effort to overwhelm all civilian defenses. Governor Newsom has purposely outlawed fully functional AR-15s in order to make sure Californians can't effectively defend the state against China's invasions. It's hard to fight a war with low-capacity magazines and funky rifle stocks that are made to be California-compliant. Wow. All the anti-gun laws in California, Oregon, and Washington were actually designed to make the West Coast vulnerable to invasion, making sure Americans can't defend their homeland against enemy forces. Note, too, that Washington is still running the, uh, how do I say this? Um, still running the, uh, the camps, put it that way, which will no doubt be used to house Americans who resist the communist invasion since Washington's Democratic leaders are all in with the communist Chinese takeover of America. As with Trudeau in Canada, of course, little do these leftists realize they too will be quickly exterminated by the communist Chinese once they have outlived their usefulness. The communist Chinese have no intention to leave any American left alive, not even those who foolishly think communism is awesome. They are about to find out the hard way that communist China doesn't need American traitors. Sad man, this is just look. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if China gets invaded. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, not China gets invaded. I wouldn't be surprised if this is all it leads to America's invasion. Because think about it, all these, um, all these ridiculous anti-gun laws. All right, especially in New York. giving away thousands and billions of dollars in military aid to Ukraine. Weapons, you're giving Ukraine weapons, but it's not getting to them. And our, the military supply for the United States is extremely low. And now Canada with, uh, you know... Kevin Trudeau says, you know, Canadian citizens can't own firearms now. Info, rude awakening, man. An extremely rude awakening. Okay, so on to the next story. Boston's Children's Hospital should be called Boston Hospital, Boston Children's Hospital of Horrors. That's what it should be called. Boston's Children's Hospital of Horrors. 
let's get into this. All right. Boston Children's Hospital's doc says gender confusion has skyrocketed puberty blockers given like candy. The promoting of transformer treatment as great and helpful, Carswell cautioned that you need to have the conversation about fertility. In battle, Boston Children's Hospital is once again snagging headlines for all the wrong reasons after the head of his genetic clinic was seen admitting in a recent resurfaced video that rates of gender dysphoria have skyrocketed and that transformer drug regimens can damage fertility. Pediatric endocrinologist and director of Boston's Children's Hospital Gender Management Service Program, Jeremy Carswell, MD, made the remarks during a 2020 Advancing Excellence in Transformer Health Conference. In a reported webinar called Puberty Blockers and Hormone Therapy for Gender Diverse Youth and Adolescents on the National Alphabet Plus Health Education Center website, Dr. Carswell explained that the number of adolescents who have been coming into gender programs over the last several years has really kind of skyrocketed, adding the puberty blocking drugs are being given out like candy. Though promoting transformer treatment as great and helpful, Carswell cautioned that you need to have the conversation about fertility. According to the gender clinic director, medication that shuts down your estrogen or shuts down testosterone entirely will cause its recipient to stop producing sperm or eggs. Okay. So I'm going to put up this um, this video and we'll listen to what's going on. All right. Here's the director, Jeremy Carwell, directly contradicting that statement and admitting that puberty blockers can sterilize children. Which is it? Boston Children's? Why are you deceiving patients? Do you do parents know that they might be sterilizing their children when they agree to blockers? Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Just fine. Fertility, another huge topic, right? Because if you are giving um, something that shuts down your estrogen or shuts down testosterone entirely. You're going to stop either if you had already been kind of producing sperm or eggs, then um, you're going to stop doing that. And if you never started, you're not going to Hear that again. Fertility, another huge topic, right? Because if you are giving um, something that shuts down your estrogen or shuts down testosterone entirely, you're going to stop either if you had already been kind of producing sperm or eggs, then um, you're going to stop doing that. And if you never started, you're not going to uh, advance those the, uh, the gonads to be able to do that. So, um, so for my population, when we have, um, say, like a 
12 or 13 year old testicle bearing person who hasn't really had too much puberty and we're talking about okay we're going to put in a blocker and then you're going to start on estrogen guess what you don't have any sperm and you're not going to get them unless we reverse everything so that's a big deal and that's something that you must have the conversation about so uh yeah they're literally not telling the parents what the, what these things are doing to their kids so parents are actually extinguishing their their family tree they're just destroying their family but that's that's the goal of these people this is what they're not telling they're out to destroy your family they don't care about you they hate children the alphabet mafia hates kids carswell who previously stated in another bch video that children might know that they're they are transformer from the minute they were born oh boy practically adding that a child who hasn't yet started puberty will be unable to produce sperm or eggs in the future if puberty blockers are followed up with cross-sex hormones so for my uh, population when we have like a 12 year a 12 or 13 year old testicle bearing person who hasn't really had too much puberty and we're talking about okay we're going to put in a blocker and then you're going to start on estrogen guess what you don't have any sperm and you're not going to get them unless we reverse everything the gender clinic director said so that's a big deal carson said and that's something that you must have a conversation about boston children's hospital states on its website that children and adolescents who are in puberty may choose to pause puberty using puberty blockers and that the drugs are temporary and completely reversible and do not cause any permanent damages however claims of reversibility of puberty blocking medications whose off-label use for treatment of gender dysphoria is not approved by the fda fall flat if puberty blockers are followed up with cross-sex hormones wow in a monday article for the city journal manhattan institute fellow leor sapper pointed out that when cross-sex hormones are taken as a follow-up to puberty blockers sterility is virtually guaranteed since the organs responsible for producing sex gametes ova and sperm are not allowed to develop wow the world professional association for transformer health wpath has recommended that cross-sex hormones be prescribed for youth ages 16 and up updated guidance leaked this summer dropped the minimum age recommending that the hormones may be prescribed for children as young as 14. meanwhile despite promoting puberty blocking drugs for children in the resurfaced 2020 webinar dr carswell expressed concern that medical providers treating so-called transformer patients tend to be very 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 swayed by our patients a reality she flagged as dangerous we don't need a generation of people who are having all these health issues because we didn't want to wait and be a little bit more cautious with our treatments According to Carswell, the BCH gender clinic at the time received anywhere from 2 to 18 calls for new patients per week. Sad to say, there are, there are parents who hate their kids. If you want your kid to go through this, you hate your child. 
All right, that's just honest. You hate your kid and you hate, and sad to say you hate their gender. That is the truth. You hate your children if you do this. All right, next up. On a minute, hold on a minute. Yep, so we have a teacher that just loses it. So we're going to go into that. So apparently this man lost his cool and this happened. Whoa, let's play that again. I'll play it one more time. Wow. Yep, 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 yep. That's 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 basically it. That's basically it, man. He thought that was cool to say. He thought it was cool to say. Kankakee High School's teacher uses racial slur against student officials. At Kankakee High School, teacher has been placed on paid leave after saying a racial slur in the classroom in an incident that was caught on video. Kankakee School District 111, uh, Superintendent Dr. Genera A. Walters said a teacher used a racial slur after getting into a minor conflict with a student who was leaving the classroom. Administrators at the high school said they reviewed several videos of the incident and took statements from students who were in the classroom. A teacher has been placed on paid leave pending full investigation. The video is a system of a much larger societal issue, Walter said in a statement. Although this is a disheartening situation for our students, families, and public education, the root of the problem must be addressed in a systematic way. In light of the circumstances, we are proud of how the students handle the situation. Some students appear to be laughing at the end of the video, which was which the district said was a nervous laughter. 
Students who witnessed the racial slur said they were shocked to hear a teacher use that kind of language, district officials said. The Kankakee High School principal will make a recommendation regarding the teacher to the Human Resources Department will also make a recommendation concerning disciplinary action to the Kankakee School District 111 Board of Education. What should happen is the fact that the teacher needs to be fired. That's what needs to happen. Needs to be fired. You're dealing with high school students. These high school students basically are still immature. And some of them, you know, they will push you to a point. But in that situation, it is just best to walk away and say, you know, just take a breather and find somewhere else to go. Just take a break and then come back. If not, leave the school. Find a new type of employment. But this dude right here needs to be um, arrested, charged with battery. All right. Because if it was the reverse, a black teacher acting this way towards a, you know, a white student and called that white student, you know, a cracker, it'd be a problem. Okay. It'd be a serious problem. Okay. All right. So now we have a Cook County woman sentenced for telling black cyclists to leave. Doesn't he get that up right here? Leave what you might say. Where? What was she telling him to do? All right. Cook County woman sentenced for telling black cyclists to leave Winnicott Pier. These Karens, I tell you, man, these Karens are everywhere. All right, let's see what's going on. Let's see if we can play the video. It's not playing. Let's just keep it moving. Let's just keep this, keep the show going. All right. Winnicka, Illinois, a Northfield woman has been sentenced to a year of probation after reaching a plea deal on charges that she told a man to leave at, to leave a Winnicka pier because he was black. Irene, I don't even, Dona Shatsitz, 65 at first told the man he was not allowed on the beach in August of 2020 because he didn't have a pass. 
As the man begins recording, he asks, is it because I'm black? And the woman replies, yes, and nods her head. Dennis then tries to knock the phone out of the man's hand. Wow. A charged racist Karen today with battery. <clears throat> after she racially profiled us. No, this is after she aggressively told us to leave because we weren't allowed on the public pier without parking passes. This happened in Winnica, Illinois. All right, let's see if I can play this here now. You Play with me, oh, like, oh, man. Ooh. Thank you. Yo, 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 don't touch my stuff, boy. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. That right there, you don't touch. Nah, nah, nah. You, you ain't touching me. Mm -mm. You don't touch my property. That's an extension of me. Nope, nope, nope. Ah, boy. The cyclist Otis Campbell, 25, said he had just finished a bike ride with friends when DeSantis confronted him. For everything that's been going on, it could have ended very bad, Campbell said, following the confrontation. DeSantis was charged with a hate crime and was ordered was ordered held on $10,000 bail. Good. The charges were amended Wednesday to a misdemeanor battery under a deal which she pleaded and attended an anti-racism class. DeSantis was sentenced to one year of probation. Good. I'm happy. Good. Fortunately, and she sounds very much like she sounds very much a uh, um an immigrant. Okay, very much so. That just goes to show. I'm. I wouldn't be shocked if she was from Ukraine. I'll just be real. I wouldn't be shocked if she was from Ukraine. She from Ukraine. All right. I hope you guys are stocking up because you got a lot of those um, people coming from Ukraine, and they're very much for white supremacy. Not all of them, but hey, a lot of them. They indoctrinated with that. They love Hitler. All right. 
Let's go with the next story right now. I know it is. We got some crazy teachers. Crazy, crazy teachers. We got this one right here. Threatened to bash a, a female student's head against the wall. Let's get into this one. on cell phone video teacher robert bean from cajon high school in san bernardino can be heard raging against a female student expressing how he would like to hurt her Find a little brat kid that I just want to slam her face up against the wall. Okay? That's how angry I get. He's done this stuff in the past. He's yelled at his students. He's called them different slurs. and Such as what? Well, the R slur for one and the F slur as another one. I understand that... The R slur? What is the R slur? Teachers can get frustrated, but it doesn't give them an excuse to act this inappropriate. The video posted on social media has comment after comment from current and former students describing their own experiences with Mr. Bean. I'm shocked that it's still happening. I'm shocked that he's still there. Megan Sold is a former student of Robert Bean. She says she reported him to the school for abusive behavior in 2009, but nothing was done about it. I was bullied and I would I was harassed by him at a time when I really needed support and guidance from from my teacher and I'll remember it forever. We contacted the school for comment. The district issued the following statement. San Bernardino City Unified School District placed Mr. Bean on administrative leave this month. <laughs> Mr. Bean? Mr. Bean. I, how many of you like British comedy? I don't know. I may I may be by myself here, but how many of you like British comedy? How many of you remember Mr. Bean? I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I see him, you know, once in a while on, um, you know, the Internet. He's, he's kind of funny. Just remembering that, Mr. Bean. All right, let's keep going. Morning. We are looking into the allegations posted on social media. We are not able to share more about the situation because we are required to protect our employees' privacy in this matter. This is something that will not be fixed with just an administrative leave. I know, I almost know for sure that he will come back. And so when he does come back, or if he will come back, we plan on staging a planned absence from all periods of his class. The students are demanding the teacher be fired, not just for the video of the story, but for what they say is a long history of inappropriate behavior. Reporting from San Bernardino, I'm Gina. Hmm. If you can't do teaching, it's okay. If you can't do a certain job, it's okay. Find something else to do. 
some jobs aren't meant for everyone. That's it. Some jobs are not meant for everyone. It's just that simple. I know, you know, you, you, I mean, you may be, I mean, look, you may be caught in a rock and a hard place. Okay. But at the same time, do you want to go to jail? Do you want to get sued? That's the issue here. It really isn't that serious to get, uh, you know, to end up, you know, in a really bad situation that you can't get yourself out of financially. That's it, really. There are plenty of jobs out there. Okay, it may be a journey to find a job that you like, but at least you're finding the job that you like and you're not, you know, in handcuffs. It's not for everyone. Okay, so let's get into this story right here. All right. Eric Cantu, I believe I did a live stream on him on this situation. Those of you who don't remember, uh, it was basically about a rookie cop who... Um, thought Mr. Cantu's license plate to his car was the same as a car thief, and it wasn't. And he still, the rookie cop still approached Mr. Cantu and shot Mr. Cantu numerous times. And now, this is the story. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. This is the update. Police accountability expert called it a catastrophic mistake. An officer firing into a moving vehicle, critically injuring a teenager. As that 17-year-old Eric Cantu fights for his life, new developments are Dylan Collier tracking down new information on the criminal case against his shooter. But first, a warning. This story includes graphic footage that may not be suitable for everyone. This evening, our first look at footage of James Brennan leaving jail early Wednesday. The fired San Antonio police officer was magistrated alone in his cell and kept away from other inmates, standard for high-profile cases. The 27-year-old walked out free on $200,000 bond at 4.06 a.m. He's scheduled to appear in court the day before Thanksgiving. Brennan, get the car. who opened Eric Cantu's car door without identifying himself, fired a total of 10 shots. Half of them is Cantu. Didn't even identify yourself. Who Who are you? Open the car. Open, get out of the car. Who are you? You didn't even... Man. Drove away. Department officials confirming today the vehicle was not stolen. The October 2nd shooting and subsequent arrest of Brennan on two counts of aggravated assault by a public servant, one for each person in the car, exposing SAPD to nationwide scrutiny. Obviously, this person did not have good, uh, did not exercise good judgment or sound judgment. So, you know, you can't condone that kind of stuff. Former officer turned criminal justice professor Kevin LaChapelle. To me, it didn't look like lack of training, lack of experience. Brennan, a seven-month veteran of the agency, had been given the okay to patrol alone just months before the shooting. Chief William McManus this week defended the department's current training standards. This was a was a failure 
for one individual police officer. It had nothing to do with our policies. Through their attorney, Cantu's family said today the teen is still on life support for his lungs, fighting a high fever while attached to mechanical ventilation. NSAPD's public information office saying this afternoon the license plates on Cantu's vehicle did not belong to the car he was driving, but again, that car was not stolen. No further explanation has been given. If Cantu passes away, that charge against Brennan will be upgraded. His attorney today did not respond to a call asking for an interview. Dylan Collier, KSAT 12 News. You need to modify that damn quality of immunity. You need to have better background checks. They said he was, they say he was also a vet, this uh, rookie cop. Okay. So we got to, we would have to look into his time served in the military. Um, what type of general discharge, what type of discharge did he get? And, um, Go from there because this this right here it's inexcusable, man. It's inexcusable. Okay. Next story. All right. Hold on one second. So we're going to talk about affordable housing. Let's get into that. So the average rent for a New York City apartment is more than $5,000, which is something many New Yorkers can't afford. Hold up. Let's play that back. So uh, I, I guess you 
can find bargains if you look that hard. But you posted on a thread on Twitter yesterday using the term racialized displacement. Now, is that the same thing as saying gentrification? You know, um, no, because sometimes gentrification, uh, displacement doesn't always happen. But this particularly is about when people of color are disproportionately pushed out of the city. I do think, for example, that someone moving to Atlanta because they can't afford New York is is um, in the same and should be um, thought of in the same category as someone being evicted because at the end of the day, there's displacement happening. They're yeah. leaving because they cannot afford it. I mean, we've seen a lot of neighborhoods completely transformed uh, over the last decade. Uh, in fact, the recent census, yeah, I mean, the recent census shows uh, that Bed-Stuy, which was a predominantly black neighborhood, gained more than 30,000 white residents and decreased in black residents. But the same thing happened with Latino residents in Bushwick, Williamsburg, and East New York. Were, so where are all of these people going then? There is, you know, there is a fairly new report by the Brookings Institute talking about the new migration, because there used to be um, the great migration from the south to the north, and now there's the reverse of that. So a lot of people are moving down south to Atlanta, to Charlotte, to Dallas, to Austin, um, and then a lot of folks are moving west. And some of the folks moving west from California are also moving south, so there's a lot of movement going on, and a lot of it um, is about affordable housing. Now, we're looking at, you know, a similar trend that, that's happening in the Bronx right now. That's where new luxury apartment buildings are lining the waterfront in Mott Haven. And these developers are supposed to set aside a certain number of affordable units for local residents. But does that actually happen? And who's actually keeping track of that? Well, some of the housing um, is under, comes before the City Planning Commission. And if they are what's called mandatory inclusionary housing, then it'll include anywhere from 25 to 30 um, around that percentage of uh, income-restricted housing. Uh, but, you know, when we're talking about these developments that you're mentioning, some of them are 1,000 apartments or 2,000 apartments. And so when you only have 25% of that, it ends up not really being that much. Um, in, in terms of uh, accountability, that's been a consistent question. Yeah. Would you call what we're seeing in Harlem a success story as far as displacement or lack of displacement? I I don't think so. I think that any time, especially when longtime residents cannot access and benefit of the good things that are coming to a community, then I don't think that we can call it a success story. A lot of these folks, for example, you mentioned the Bronx. Yeah. You know, back in the 80s and the 70s, um, there, was, there were so many... Um, Latinos who have done so much for the Bronx to build it up. There were so many fires um, in, in particular, and they weathered through that storm. And now that we have these luxury developments by the waterfront, will they be able to afford it? So are they doing enough, though, to avoid it, like those neighborhoods in Harlem? Uh, I think that what we can do that we're not doing when we're having the conversation is talk about affordable, affordability. Yeah conversation right now is saying that there is a housing shortage and so if we just supply more housing regardless of if it's affordable or not then then the market will work itself out and so then rents will become lower um i think that this is the mark
Yeah. All right. Well, the, the fight for affordable housing, of course, is an uphill battle. So where can low-income families go to find the resources and support uh, that they need? Um, uh, the first thing to know is that if you are facing eviction, there are legal organizations. Um, and if you are income eligible, then you may be able to receive free legal help. So that's the first part. Um, and there are a lot of community groups in, in different boroughs um, dealing with housing, some of them if you'd like to own a home. And so I would check with your local community groups and see um, about resources and your community boards as well. Just a quick note, the community boards vote on a lot of the housing proposals and then they come before the city planning commission. So those community boards are very important to get involved in. Well, people have a, hup, a rough uphill battle when it comes to dealing with affordable housing and being priced out of neighborhoods, minorities. Yeah, man, this is... Uh, I don't know what to say because it's going to see, it's going to be like the the rich are only ones who are going to be afford to live in the cities and it's going to be blacks are going to have to apply for affordable housing or they're going to have to find some way to live down south or they're going to have to move to another country and work there and live Crazy, man. Crazy. All right. Especially with uh, this woman right here who decided that she couldn't pay the rent. So this is what was done. This is what was her go-to. They do believe that the dismemberment took place on the first floor of that residence. New tonight, a woman accused of killing her landlord. Hold up, hold up, hold up. All right. People playing with me, man. The Northside Neighborhood Reeling. Anthony Ponce has details along with announcing murder charges against the tenant for killing her landlord cpd releasing some very distressing details about the crime that they say occurred here in the residence that they shared early monday morning namely that this suspect killed then dismembered her body and was in the process of trying to cover her tracks when she was taken into custody oh Afraid of 36-year-old Sandra Kalalu, pictured here in January after she was arrested for battery. Kalalu is now charged with first-degree murder and the death of her landlord, 69-year-old Francis Walker. Kalalu's landlord, police say, moved to evict her over the weekend after she exhibited aggressive behavior. The deceased, the, the, the person who owns the residence, had actually served the defendant with like a, a notice to leave or an eviction notice. And that was done very recently. I don't want to get the date wrong, but I think it might have even been done as recently uh, um, 
as of Saturday. At 2.30 a.m. Monday, tenants here say they heard screams, and when they didn't see Walker emerge from her unit all day, alerted police. Uh, the tenants and the police went in, and they were able to find some additional blood inside the tenant's room, at which point they discovered the uh, gruesome remains in, in a freezer. Sheesh! Monday evening, police say Colaldo had in a freezer. Mm. Mm. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. Police say Colaldo threatened that tow truck driver at knife point before being taken into custody. She is also charged with aggravated battery for that and concealment of a homicide. In West Rogers Park. And <sighs> wow. People really taking that Jeffrey Dahmer route, man. You got to be careful out here, man. You, you really got to be careful. Because... People out here are desperate. I don't know, you know, ha opening your home. I mean, having property, you got to be careful. Make sure these people can pay the rent. They got a job, a good job. Man, I feel sorry for the land for the landlord's family. nothing i could say people are crazy people are losing their damn minds they whole mind okay that's what they doing out here in these streets in these streets all right Remember the story of the OnlyFans model, Courtney Clenny, and she deleted her boyfriend? Well, there's an update. Let's get into that. Sheesh, man. Put the body in a freezer. Ooh, Whatever. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. We done after this. Oh boy. Pissed up, the social media model arrested for the stabbing death of her boyfriend. The police body camera video shows her pleading for help just days before the murder. Here's local times Mel Sabovic with the details. By all accounts, Christian Abumselli and Courtney Clenny have had a very violent and toxic relationship. Police were called to their luxury apartment on multiple occasions, including two days before they say she stabbed him to death. You're looking at police body cam video from Friday, April 1st. One Paraiso building employees called Miami police in regards to a domestic disturbance between OnlyFans model Courtney Clenny and her boyfriend Christian Abumselli. Two days before investigators say she stabbed him to death. Clenny is in the lobby. The employee is the one who actually called police and tells them. Her boyfriend comes charging 
towards her and we actually try to get in, in the middle of it. Clenny is visibly upset. She's on the phone with her dad while telling police Abumseli is stalking her. Right now, like I have not always been a victim, but like right now I'm a freaking victim in situation. I'm scared to go to want my dog. Then says, I want a restraining order against Christian Abumseli. Officers check Clenny's apartment and Abumseli wasn't there. They let Clenny know that if he's been living in her apartment and has belongings there, they cannot kick him out. Also informing her that she's not being clear on what she wants. You want this person to completely disappear from yes. your life. At the same time, you, you have him in, in your apartment here for two months with a ton of stuff in here. But no, I, I know. Clenny goes back to her apartment. Officers then go to the employee who made the original call, telling him she never disclosed that there was violence that particular night. Uh, he went targeting her. That's, that's fine. That's my word. Right. But she didn't mention none of that until she says she wants to do something about it so we can get it so we can so we that's where we step in where it's a criminal activity but she needs to mention something about that okay unfortunately we can't do it authorities say clenny's story of self-defense has inconsistencies in it she is facing a second degree murder charge meantime the obamselli family attorney says that this video is self-serving and that clenny is trying to rewrite history her attorney is also speaking out saying that the system failed her as a woman seeking help from an abusive really that is lies they she was at they cannot force their hand with this woman and say you know we're kicking him out you know okay you don't want him to leave we're gonna make him leave okay they can't do that because see here's the things in these domestic violence relationships any a good-hearted person could jump in there and try to separate the two, and that person gets beat up by not only the abuser but the the victim as well. Okay, so it, it's just look, man, in these type of relationships, and and men, you look, you men, black men who say, "Oh, I want a white woman." Problem with it is you'll take any white woman that looks good, and. It's the same thing with um, black women who say, I want to divest. And you're with a person that is a bottom shelf of that other ethnic group. And you're taking them on, which means you also are the bottom shelf of your ethnic group. Okay. A lot of you, like, look at Lonnie. Lonnie Love from, I believe, the, uh, I forgot the name of that show that she was on. But. The fact of the matter is she took on a man, he's white, but he's beneath her when it comes to finances. Okay? And that's going to cause problems and toxicity. This um, guy, Obinselli, he won a white girl, according to his social media page and the comments, he want a white girl, but you get in the bottom shelf. You get an OnlyFans model. You a grad. You you had a college degree. You getting a woman who's an OnlyFans model. You're not getting a woman with a college degree. You know, has a, a a good standing. No, you get an OnlyFans model. Come on. You got some black men like this. You know, I want a white girl. I want a white girl. And you getting the trashiest one out of that other ethnic group. And then this happens. And you mad that she's an OnlyFans model, probably. 
And there's videos of her. She can't say that she's a victim. She was hitting him. There's a video of her in the elevator beating him up, beating on his back. She's not getting out of this. She's not. Not at all. Lawyers, lawyers for OnlyFans model Courtney Clinney released new body cam video showing her begging cops for a restraining order against her stalker boyfriend one day before she stabbed him to death. Self-defense stalker boyfriend, but he lives with you. New police body cam footage shows bikini OnlyFans model Courtney Clinney shaking and sobbing as she begged cops to help her get a restraining order against her boyfriend the day before she stabbed him. That don't make no sense. I mean... Clenny, 26, faces second-degree murder charges for fatally stabbing her boyfriend, Christian Obenselli, 27, in the chest at a Miami apartment while the two argued on April 3rd. The new footage recorded on body cam on April 2nd was released by her lawyers who are trying to argue that she stabbed him in self-defense and that a day earlier she was visibly shaken and fearful. She accused him of stalking her. Are you stalking when he lives in the same place as you? The body cam footage officers can be seen walking into the lobby of the luxury Miami high-rise where Clenny lived with Obaselli, where a doorman tells him that there have been domestic disturbance. A tearful and visibly upset Clenny is seen talking on her phone before asking the doorman to let her in the apartment after locking herself out. She then explains that she broke up with Obaselli a week earlier and her mother had come to stay with her to help her. She also claimed, however, he had been sleeping in her elevator room the entire time. She's lying. I broke up with him. He slept inside my elevator from room on a couch. And that's stalking. No, it's not. You let him in. Stalking is the fact that person doesn't live with you anymore. Okay. You're broken up. And he's stalking you. He's, you see him following you. That's stalking. He wouldn't leave me alone, she told officers. The security guard... Then informs cops that earlier Obasili had tried to get into the elevator with her when she took her dogs for a walk and she held out her hands to stop him. He then accused her of shoving him. Her boyfriend comes charging at her. The boyfriend came after her and then I said enough is enough. The police need to be called. The guard told the officers. Look at this. This is the bottom shelf of another ethnic group. She's this is just what what were you what were you trying to get from this one? You're it's like you were dating a black woman. It's just this time she was white. He, he had a type. He had a type. He didn't want a respectable white woman or a respectable woman of a different ethnic group. He wanted an easy lay. This is what he got. This is the problems that come with it. The scene in the body cam footage is chaotic with multiple people speaking over each other. At one point, Clenny is shaking, tries to get officers to listen to her. Can you guys please listen to me? I broke up with him a week ago, she tells officers. Why do you have something against me, she asks. I stayed in my apartment all day. I was afraid to come down here because I was afraid he would be down here. I didn't take my dogs out like eight hours. When I walked my dogs, he followed me and wouldn't leave me alone. You had this man living with you, sleeping on your couch. Where else was he supposed to go? <sighs> Just retardedness, man. Just, ah, oh, man. Hmm. 
I had a lot of opportunities to call and I did not. She said, referring to the police. She also said, I was not, I have not always been a victim. Right now I'm a victim. I'm getting kicked out of my own apartment. I'm scared. She then told officers that Open City claimed she shoved him. I didn't, I don't ever want to deal with this again. When the police asked Clinty if there was ever a phys any physical violence, she hesitated before saying, that's not really my concern right now and indicated her issue was with him stalking me. She says she wants him completely out of her life, but the cops point out that he's been living with her for two months and has a lot of property in her apartment. He was stalking me. I want a restraining order against Christian Obaselli. Officers then tell her that she needs to go to court to obtain a restraining order. The police then take the elevator up to the apartment with Clinty, where they check around for signs. Obaselli is still there, but he's nowhere to be found. Frank Pietro, a lawyer for Clinty, said the video proves that Christian Obaselli was the abuser. Yeah, right. Right, right, right. Clinty, who goes by Courtney Taylor online, claimed the stabbing a day before um, claimed the stabbing a day later took place in self-defense. Miami attorney Catherine Fernandez said Clinty claimed to have stabbed Obenselli in the chest after he grabbed her by the throat at the luxury apartment in the one Parasaro building in Edgewater, Miami, in, in April, according to the Miami Herald. Clinty said she threw a knife at her boyfriend from from more than 10 feet away, but Fernandez said the autopsy revealed a deep wound that could only be done at close at a close distance. The knife entered Christian's chest at a downward angle, said Fernandez. The only fans mom was temporarily arrested after cops found her coat, found her coated in blood on her balcony, but was later released because she they believed she acted in self-defense. She was then arrested again on Hawaii's Big Island, where she was being treated for substance abuse and PTSD. To bolster her self-defense story, Pieter previously asked that Obenselli's corpse be dug up and inspected by the medical examiner. Obenselli's body was buried in buried in Texas following his death. The 27-year-old family attorney, Larry Hanfield, said the effort from Clinton's attorney to act of, is an act of de desperation and to dig up the body would go against the family's religious views. Religious values. Prieto also asked for an order protecting and limiting the release of adult content produced and presented on and Clinton's phone. This is going to turn into a circus of media outlets publishing salacious materials which have nothing to do with the guilt or innocence in this case. He characterized photos and videos of on Clinton's phone as pornography and sexually explicit and argued the content would prevent her from facing in, an impartial jury. The prosecution argued the defense was trying to control the narrative with the motion. Judge Diana Viz Vizcano denied the request. The motion came after the release of the elevator footage from the couple's Miami apartment that showed the model viciously punching and kicked Obenswelly two months before his death. In the footage, Clinton had been had had been seen slapping and pulling Obenswelly's hair as he desperately tried to fend off her blows. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Self-defense. Yeah, man. Self-defense. Look at this self-defense here, boy. Look at it, man. You can't get enough of this self-defense right here. Boy, listen, I'll tell you. Look at this. Clanny and Obasoli have been dating for less than two years, and their relationship was tumultuous. She 
She was arrested for domestic battery in Las Vegas, and police were called to their home in Austin, Texas, on several occasions. The pair moved to Miami at the beginning of the year, and staff and the residents on the one person building where they live where they live reportedly multiple domestic disturbance complaints about the couple and had even moved to a victim. Obensoli's brother in April was angered by her not being a, not being charged merely over his death, saying it was because of her privilege as a wealthy white woman and not because of her self-defense claim. But in the statement posted on Instagram to the victim's brother, Jeffrey Obenselli and his family wrote that they do not believe Clenny and demand that she be charged with killing the brother he called Toby. The model was caught on video covered with blood on her high-rise balcony just after the killing. The bottom line is extremely clear. Courtney is being treated differently because of her privilege as a wealthy white woman. Jeffrey Albansoli wrote on Instagram. Within 24 hours following Toby's death, the detective on the case prematurely concluded this was not a crime of violence. Yeah. People simping for her. Albansoli's family from Austin, Texas, continues to demand answers. His family is raising money for him on the GoFundMe. On their page, they say he was the victim of a heinous act of violence. It's sad, man. It's sad, but this is what happens when you, you know, us men, we can't be picking, you know, you say you want... It's like saying, I want a Latina, right? But you pick the worst of the Latina community. You pick an OnlyFans model. You pick a woman that's that has that feminist, oh, I'm a bad B mentality. And you expect things not to be turbulent. I'm sorry. That, 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 that don't go well. Okay? It, it, it's not going to fly. All right? It just isn't. People are just not, you know, people get mad. You're judging. You're judging. No, it's reality. And unfortunately, a lot of people have a problem with reality. Don't worry, though. Don't don't worry. The Great Reset is going to fix all of that. It's going to fix all of that. Whatever you thought you could get away with, no, not anymore. Not anymore. Let's get into this horrifying story. Teenage twins who escaped unimaginable abuse, their mother and her boyfriend now under arrest. Maria Villarreal spoke to the Good Samaritan who took the teens in. She joins us now from Cypress, Texas. And Maria, we want to warn viewers some of the details are disturbing. Fair use, fair use. George, that's absolutely right. Overnight, we spoke with law enforcement handling this case. Those details are horrified. They actually told investigators they were so desperate for food and water, they found a way to disconnect a washing machine and drink the water that was inside. Oh, my God. This morning, new details on the horrifying discovery in a quiet neighborhood outside Houston, where police say children were being held captive in their own home by their own mother. As soon as I heard the, the little voices for help, crying for help, I knew immediately I needed to open that door. Police say two 16-year-old twins, a brother and sister, managing to escape, seen in this doorbell video camera, 
pleading for help. At 5.30 Tuesday morning, they were taken in by this neighbor who wants to remain anonymous, giving them blankets and food. The twins telling her they were handcuffed and held captive in the family's laundry room. Their hands were so swollen. Their poor hands were bigger than the rest of their body, basically. I mean, you could tell that they both were just had been struggling and pulling and tugging on those handcuffs, trying to get them off. It was awful. Later that day, law enforcement issuing an Amber Alert for their five siblings who have since been found and placed under child and family services. Police say the alleged abuse was at the hands of their 40-year-old mother, Zakaya Duncan, and her 27-year-old boyfriend, Jova Terrell. According to the... This woman, look at the ages. Look at the ages. Okay? Look at the ages. 40, 27. She was running things. She was running things. She was thinking she was a, a bad B. She wants to be in control. He was probably her stooge. Or the worst of it, she he was running her and telling her what to do to her own children. Then you wonder why you have these manosphere people talking about single mothers. facing preliminary charges of assault and continuous violence behind bars in Louisiana waiting to be extradited back to Houston. They're going to get it in prison, okay? That dude going to get it in prison. They do not like people who abuse children in prison. It's over for him. It's over. Still a lot of unanswered questions. No word yet on when exactly this pair will be extradited back here to Texas. But thankfully, we do know these children are getting very good care at a local children's hospital. They will likely end up in foster care once they are released. And right now, the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services have opened up their own case, working very closely with law enforcement to figure out exactly what happened. Juju, Maria, thank you. So disturbing, those details. This is some crap. I... I feel bad for those kids because they didn't ask to be here. They did not ask to be here. And you got these evil women out here thinking they could do this to kids, and it's all fine because they got a man. They'll—it's sad. You got some single. They will sacrifice their kids on the altar of sex just to get a man. Sad. Anyway, this is all I got for today. Pretty much done. So, hope you all uh, are informed. What do you all think about the live stream? Tell me what you think about uh, the stories that were told today. What do you think about Haiti? What do you think about all the other live streams I've done right now? All right. Like, share, comment, subscribe. Later.